This is the Resilient Schools podcast on the Bee Podcast Network. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. In this podcast, we help schools become resilient, which means that they are able to adapt and overcome any situation that presents itself. Enjoy the show. I am excited to have James Moffat on the program. Uh, James Moffat might be my favorite What's, what's the word? His bio, his intro. He said, my name is James Moffat. I'm a principal and I love kids. And you know what? That's pretty awesome. James, welcome to Transformative Principal. Hey, Jethro. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It means a lot that you would even invite me on. So I'm excited oh. to have a conversation with you today. It's, it's my pleasure. Now, you and I have been following each other on Twitter for a while. And then we we didn't meet, but had a close encounter at the uh, Attachment Trauma Networks conference in Houston earlier this year. So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why trauma is a thing that you've become interested in. Man, I think, you know, I I think just my history is I'm a pretty empathetic guy. Like I I care about others and um, I like to hear people's stories. And um, I think back even to my college graduation in 2004, the president of our college, his whole commencement speech was about everybody has a story. And I remember that, just really thinking about that, like everybody truly does have a story. So, you know, I get into education, this is my 18th year, and I've always really been drawn to the importance of relationship and just getting to know kids. And, you know, with social media now, I think it's amazing how we can stay connected to some of our kids that we've had years and years ago. You know, I started teaching in 2004, and I taught kindergarten for two years. And a lot of those kids that I had as kindergartners in 2004 are now 22, 23, 24 years old now and still connected with so mm-hmm. many of them. That's, that's just amazing. And it goes and speaks to the importance of that relationship. And um, even now, like I moved to Wichita, Kansas in 2008, started teaching in Arizona, moved to Wichita in 2008. And the very first class that I had here in 2008, those kids are 23, 24 years old now. And like my, my barber right now is a kid that I had in fifth grade when I, you know, <laughs> when I first moved to Kansas. And, and again, it's just a relationship thing. And so that's something that's always been super important to me, really trying to get to know how kids tick, why they tick, you know, what, what they have going on. And then I, just like you, we talked a little bit offline about, you know, Jim Sporleader, and I always call him the godfather, but he's of trauma-informed care, you know, but he's become a a truly amazing friend to me. Um, But I met him back in 2015 at the conference where I got to watch Paper Tigers for the very first time. And um, he was on a panel, we got to ask questions. And, you know, I found him on Twitter afterwards and just began to learn more about him because he has a story as well. And his story is pretty amazing to me. And, and just that was enough to kind of push me. And I was in my first year as a principal at that point. And one thing I do believe strongly is, you know, we grow up to be teachers like we had, we grow up to be parents like we had. Um, Sometimes we had great examples. Sometimes we didn't have great examples, but, you know, that's who we are at our core. And, you know, when I went to that conference, it made me question some of the things that I was doing as an educator and question some of the things I was doing as a first year principal who was very authoritative and very fear based. And I just saw that there was a different way to do business. And that was important to me. And so reaching out to him and connecting with him and learning about his work and then getting to my own work about, you know, about the brain and about connection and neuroplasticity and all those words that we can talk about, just really understanding why we tick takes me back to that original question, the way that we do. And I think it goes back to that. Everybody has a story. And and so that's kind of driven me to really try to figure out what people's stories are and try to connect with them in meaningful ways. And here I am, you know, like I, I do consider myself a trauma-informed principal. I wasn't always, and I wasn't a trauma-informed teacher, um, but that's who I am now. And I think that's important. And I think I've began to, begun to see 
school different. And I think that's important. So I, I listened to you talk about, you know, a transformative principle. Like I think we need transformative schools. Yeah. And I think it's time that we move past school as this business that the way it's always been, that there are other options out there. There's other way to do business. There's other ways to connect kids and engage kids. And honestly, like something that we should have been doing years and years ago that we haven't, you know, and I think, you know, uh, COVID and things like that are going on right now kind of forced us into redesigning and being transformative leaders and, and a little bit sooner than some of us wanted to, but I think it's a good thing. And I think our kids and our teachers and just education in general is reaping the benefits of that change. So, yeah, one of the things that I think is really powerful is that if, if you had been trying to be a transformative principal before the pandemic happened, you were better prepared for what happened. So we can call that a trauma-informed principle or a transformative principle or a resilient principle. You know, there are all these different ways of describing it. But if you were doing more than just thinking about how to accomplish my goals as a, as a school, if you were doing, if you were caring about the people in front of you and doing something for them to help them grow and become better um, and a, adjusting your school to meet their needs, then you were ready. I, I really think that, that you can never be ready for the pandemic, but you were as ready as you could be, you know? And what are your thoughts on that, James? Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think, you know, like I said, the pandemic kind of fast forwarded some things, but um, it didn't completely change things for me, you know? And I think going back to that, everybody has a story, like my very first superintendent, and I speak to, about him a lot, and I try to reach out to him as much as I can. But one of the things that I appreciated so much about him is how personable he was and like everything from even the hiring process I remember I was a fifth grade teacher I thought there was no way in hell I'm going to move from fifth grade teacher to administrator and I just but it was one of those things like I might as well apply and go through the process and kind of see what happens I get offered this job and I remember I got offered the job on a Friday night and I accepted it right away and the very next day on a Saturday like my superintendent calls me it was just more of like hey welcome we're excited to have you and that really set the tone for the relationship that I had with him because I don't think there's lots of superintendents who who operate that way and then he made it a point to be in our buildings as much as possible and one thing you know talk about personalness he didn't just come in and say how are your kids how's your family he would come in and he would call my kids by name i know he would say how's aria doing how's ayana doing and that was so powerful to me and that moved me to make sure that i was doing the same things as well and so when i was going in the classrooms and popping in to check on on teachers but also talking with kids i was trying to gather as much information i could about who they were as people so i could include that in our conversations and you know it wasn't a forced thing it was like i saw the value in what he did for me and i wanted to do do that for other people and I remember like even now on my calendar every single Friday at 10 o'clock is the one time that I'm for sure closing my door I usually have door open or I'm not in there at all right yeah and so at 10 o'clock on Friday is the one time where I sit down and I think about the week and I try to write four appreciation cards out to staff members just things that I saw things that I witnessed things that were meaningful and moving to me I want to acknowledge them for those things and I think back a couple of years ago, I had a teacher and um, just through Facebook and social media, I knew her dog's name. I knew her kid's name and I knew her husband's name. And so when I was writing that card to her, I made it a point to include those things that I knew about her to make her feel that connection that I felt. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. Going back to your original question, like COVID was uh, something that we couldn't ever be prepared for, but it didn't really change my leadership style much because it really, again, reiterated the importance of relationship and connection is more important than anything else. Well, and I love that story about writing notes to people, thank you notes and things like that. Um, One of the the things that I've seen is that when you express gratitude 
than um, or appreciation or care or concern, people remember it. And I've got a story similar to yours. My wife had a baby shortly after I joined a new school district and my yeah. superintendent got on Facebook and just wrote her a message saying, congrats on your baby. It yeah. would have been fine if he would have said that to me, but he went yeah. out of his way to find who my wife was and find her on Facebook and then write a message on there. And yeah. From then on, my wife thinks that he is the best leader that has ever existed. And if there was ever, and there were some negative things in the news about him, as there are about every superintendent, and she lost her mind that people would even dare to think that this guy, who didn't have to say hello to the wife of a lowly peon in the district, but they actually did that, was really powerful and really made her feel like... Like we mattered there. And it was really powerful. It's very simple, but so, so impactful. And I think the more we do this work, the more I feel like it parallels to the experiences that we want our kids to have, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking with teachers, one of the things we often ask is, you know, or we say is your kids aren't going to remember that lesson you taught, but they're going to remember the experience. They're going to remember that you saw value in them, that you realized that they were unique and that they were special. And it's the same thing for teachers and for even for us as leaders who are looking to our leaders. You know, it's not always every every task that was given to us or every even reprimand that we get. It's those memories and those special things that they saw in us, the uniqueness that they saw in us to, to make them want to or feel the desire to invest their time in us. Those are the things that we remember. And, you know, when we talk about being trauma-informed or transformative, like that's exactly what it is to me because we know that people work for people that they care about, yeah. right? kids work for people that they know are invested in them that they care about and like we're in the business and I hate to use it that way but we're in a business of kids and we're in a business of loving kids and you know shaping kids to be successful adults and if we can surround ourselves or create or help to create a culture where people feel cared about and invested in that trickles down to our kids and that trickles up to us and it trickles up to our leaders as well so it's really what it all comes down to. Well, and, and this leads into one of the questions that I have for you, which you mentioned earlier that you were a very authoritarian principle in the beginning. And and we think that the way we, and this is intentionally harsh, so bear with me for a minute, right? So yeah. we think that kids who are struggling socioeconomically or who have had trauma or maybe have a rough home life, that they need structure, they need rules, they need expectations and all that kind of stuff. And that... That may be true, and those things may or may not help, and we mostly believe that they do. But the thing is, is that the thing that really connects kids to adults is when the adults show appropriate levels of love and care for those kids. And and so instead of being like, I love you, so I'm going to be tough on you, it's I love you, and sometimes I need to be tough on you. And so there's this big culture of compliance in education and how do we balance the need for kids doing what they're supposed to and being compliant with caring about them, loving them and giving them opportunities to make their own decisions because that's actually how they're going to get better is by making their own decisions. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a correlation between everything that you just said. Like there's this loving foundation, this relationship that has to start and it starts on day one. And one of my biggest pet peeves, and if I could find my keychain, I would show it to you, but <laughs> one of the things that all of our staff have on our, our keychains, it says two things. First, it says, if you wouldn't accept it from your supervisor, don't dish it out to a kid. I think that should be the, a big foundation of all the things that we do. And then the second part of it is, it speaks to your point is, you know, our kids are owed respect on day one. 
And I'm one that it's a big pet peeve of mine to hear adults say that kid has to earn my respect. No, we work in public education. We get to work. We're choosing to work with kids every single day. And those kids are owed our respect on day one. But I think that starts when I'm vulnerable with, with kids and vulnerable with the people I work with. And it starts with this loving, caring relationship. So one of the things that we talk about, you know, I have a consulting business on the side, but and the whole premise of that is love kids. That's why I say that. Love kids. Hashtag love kids, love kids, love kids. But one of the things I say every single day to kids is, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. I want them to hear that every single day. And I need them to understand that there's nothing that they can do. Even though I might be disappointed in their behavior, disappointed in an action, there's nothing that they can do that's going to change the love that I have for them. And in fact, because I love them the way that I do, I'm going to be there to support them even when they do mess up because they're going to mess up just like I mess up. And I think that's the, that's that's where we are. And, you know, when I when I go out and I talk to schools, I talk to districts, I say that any organization, whether it be a school or a business, has to have three fundamental things to be successful. I have, to have accountability, structure and consequences. But I start by saying all those things are rooted in love. Accountability without love isn't a good thing. Um, structure without love isn't a good thing consequence without love isn't a good thing so that love and caring relationship that compassion that you speak to has to be the foundation of everything that we do before we move on let's hear from our sponsors how much of a mind shift is that for most educators most people go into education because they do love kids but somewhere yeah. along the line we sometimes forget about that so how how do you help teachers see that that's that that's a real thing that you can say, I can tell or not. Yeah, I think you have to model it, but I think a lot of it goes back to, you know, the reason it's such a mindset shift for so many people is because that's not what school was for them, right? Yeah. And I think for a long time as educators, we've set ourselves apart from our students and we haven't allowed ourselves to be vulnerable. We haven't allowed ourselves to be just real with kids. We've tried so hard to be just professionals. And, and, and part of us is, is attempting to be professionals with our kids. We make every attempt to appear to be perfect with our kids mm -hmm. and we're not. And when you're that person who's making every attempt to be perfect, well, I'm not perfect. So if I'm with somebody who in their mind or puts out this appearance of being perfect, I shy away from that because I don't want them in their perfectness to judge me in my imperfections, right? And so I think as educators, we have to let that veil down and just be real with kids and be, be relational with kids. None of us like to be around people who are know-it-alls. None of us like to be around people who are judgmental. So why do we have teachers to act that way? Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to that's what they've always seen modeled to them. So it is a big shift in mindset. And I think the best thing that we can do to help in that shift is to really model it, live it, and let them experience it. And if we can do those three things, then they're going to begin to see the importance of the shift because it's necessary, especially right now with such a need for social emotional help, with such a need. We're in a mental health crisis in schools right now. Like some days I go to work and I, there's times when I close my door and I do, I'm in tears just thinking about what our kids are experiencing. And it's, and it, it's just so heartbreaking. And so how can we approach them in a loving way to help them through the things that they're going through right now? Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. So you, you mentioned two things are on the keychain. One is if you wouldn't take it from your supervisor, don't dish it out to kids. Did you say what the second one was and yeah, I missed it? The second one, Yeah. The second one was like, our kids are owed our respect on day one. It's not something in my opinion that they have to earn it. Like they are owed 
our respect, our human decency on day one. Yeah, good. I, I'm glad that I went back to that because that that piece of of owing them respect on day one, it, it's not something that anybody has to qualify for. And as you mentioned, yeah. it's not you love the kids. It doesn't matter what they do and they can't control yeah. that. You can't control yeah. how I feel about you. I'm going to feel this way. And this is something that my wife and I have talked about a lot, especially lately with our kids as they're becoming teenagers and starting to make other choices. They're going to do things that we don't agree with and that we haven't taught them to do. And they don't get to choose whether or not we love them. We love them period, end of story. And so you can act in a certain way and it doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. And you, which means one, you can't do anything so bad that I won't love you. And two, you, you can't do anything to make me stop loving you. So if you're trying, if you're mad at me and you're trying to push away from me, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to love you. And those are going to be really hard because I do love you, but I'm still going to do it. And so that innate value of loving someone and respecting them on day one, how do you help people see that and cultivate that so that they actually believe it? Because I, I'd love to think that everybody does, but everybody doesn't believe that already. Yeah, and I think that's the unique thing. And, and the more I, I do this trauma-informed work, I, I'm moving in this direction and how do I help schools? Teachers innately are very black and white. They, they, they want to see a structure to everything that they do. Like when this happens, this is the next thing. When this happens, this is what's next. And so why they have a difficult time with trauma-informed care is, in my opinion, trauma-informed care is living in the gray. Mm-hmm. Like we have to live in the gray. There is no if then statements that are perfect and tied up in these pretty bows. It doesn't work like that. And so I have to be relational to get to know those students to know this is what they're experiencing. This is what there's going, they're going through that led to this point. And so my response to that behavior is taking into consideration everything that's going on, not to show pity or permissiveness, because I don't want to get mixed up in that. Like that's not, and I think some people get mixed up there. Like I'm not going to have a response because I have pity for them, or I'm not going to have a response because there's this permissiveness of me because I see the things that they're going through. No, it's taking to the into account the things that they're going through so I can help them work through it. And so I think until we can get teachers to feel that, and I don't mean that in a negative way, I mean feel that, you know, you're black and white until it applies to you. And so putting them in situations, sometimes just in conversation where I say, and this is one of the questions I ask in every training I've ever been in, you know, if you're on a staff and you come in late for a training, and my response to, the, or to, to a meeting and my response is, you know yeah. what, because Death Row came in late, I'm going to dock everybody's pay. Yeah. Like, because we're, that's what we do. We're going to dock everybody's pay because you came in late. And I've, I've asked at this point, thousands and thousands of educators, would they be okay with that? And I've yet to have one who would say they'd be okay with that. Right. But when I say, now let's, let's flip it. How often do we do things like that to kids? How often do we have that one, two, three kids in the back of the room who are frustrating me with their behavior? And my reaction, not my response to that, my reaction to that is a quick, we're not going outside for recess. Or here's this extra assignment for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it's that ground of taking into consideration what everybody's going through and having a response that meets the needs of individuals. And there's a big difference. Ginger Lumen works for ESDAC, which is an educational consortium. She's great. She is. And one of the things that she challenged me on like two or three years ago, and she didn't even mean it in a negative way, but it really just, I've reflected on it since then. The difference between each and every, yeah. just those two words. There's such a difference there because 
what we're doing as educators, we're not doing something for everybody. And we are, but like, I want to do something for each kid as an individual. And it gets into that equity and um, fair, fair equity and equal conversation. But like, what am I doing for each kid to have an impact? What am I doing for each kid to see them make growth? What am I doing for each kid so that I can have a lasting impact where they know that they're loved? So I think until we can get teachers in that vein of really sitting back and reflecting and thinking of things in those ways, we're going to go begin to break wall. But that goes back to, I have to first be relational with them so mm -hmm. that they feel that they can be vulnerable with me and let that veil down just a little bit so they can begin to look at things different. Yeah. Um, I love that question about uh, how you treat people when they're when they're tardy to a training or something. And yeah. I had a, a teacher who was furious about her kids being late to class every day. And yet yeah, she would yeah. come late to faculty meeting every single day. And yeah. as much as I wanted to say, see, see, I yeah. didn't. Yeah. I, every time she came in, I just said, thanks for being here. I'm so glad you came. And that yeah. was it. And I said that yeah. sincerely from my heart because that's what I truly felt. And, and then I would talk to her later and I never brought this up because I, I didn't want to like put her in a position of, see, yeah. I'm doing it. Why can't you? But every time I talked to her about her kids' tardies, she would be upset and say, this is so wrong and they're, they're not doing this right. And, and I would say, well, what is something you could say to help them feel like they are actually welcome in your classroom? And yeah. she, she could never figure it out. She could never make that connection. And I don't, I don't have any hard feelings towards her about this, but I was modeling it and I was saying it. And then I was helping coach her up to that and she could never get to that point on her own. And, yeah. and that's, that's okay. But then the other aspect of that is that I would also, I, I don't believe that we should assign homework period. I think it's unethical for educators to do that. And the way I would explain that, like what you said is I would say, how would you feel if you were at work all day and then I gave you additional work to do at home that you had to complete by the next time you saw me? And every teacher says, why well, one already work at home a ton. And my response to that is, okay, what if I made you do additional work? Would you be happy with that? No, I definitely would not be. And, and so I always told my teachers, you are free to sign homework if that's what you feel like you need to do. But if there's ever a argument or a fight with a parent about homework, I'm going to side with the parents because that is how I believe that they they shouldn't have to do homework and it should be something that, that we just don't do. If, if we can't do it in school, then we shouldn't be asking them to do it at home. And that once you take that approach and put them in that position of feeling what somebody else is feeling, then it's a lot easier. So gaining that empathy of what somebody else is going through, I think is a really powerful strategy to do. I'm sorry, but one thing you, you talked about and it really it, it sticks out to me and it's something I need to get back to. You know, you talked about like when somebody comes in late, how, what's your response to that? Is your response to make them feel bad or is your response to make them feel welcome that, that they're there and excited about being there? And I think sometimes in education, we get into this, this we're, we're looking to have a big, big, big impacts. So we're looking to employ these, these huge initiatives that have these huge effects. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes you get the power of the small things, the small day-to-day -day things that have lasting impacts, sometimes longer than some of those huge initiatives. And so I think back to the first school I was a principal of, and we had this, um, one of our paraprofessionals, her name was Miss Julie. And Miss Julie was just one of those really personable people who could just ha had a relationship and a connection with everybody. And we, we 
altered some of her job descriptions. She's one of our special education pairs. That's what she did the majority of our day. But I said, these first 30 minutes of every single day, I need to change your job description just a little bit. And I said, the only thing I want you to do the first 30 minutes of every single day is to go into the office, get the attendance report from the day before, see all the kids that were absent. And I want you to spend the first 30 minutes of your day going to find all those kids. And I just want you to welcome them back to school. Just say, I'm glad that you're back. And then so the more she did that, you know, that job adapted some and she worked with one of our fifth grade classes and they were writing these little welcome back notes. And so she, when she was going to meet with these kids, she said, I'm so glad you're back at school today. And she would give them the welcome note. And that was one of those things, it was a minor tweak to a schedule, but like of all the things that we, we make lots of decisions and as, as administrators every day, right? And every year, that was the one that had such a lasting impact, not only on kids, but also on parents as well. I can, I still have parents who find me and say, man, my kid noticed that you noticed that they weren't there, there at school that day. Mm -hmm. And they noticed that you sent somebody to welcome them back to school. That was powerful for them. Yeah. And I think that's just another small tweak that shows love, compassion, and, and just that's what we need to be doing more of in schools. Yeah. Have you heard of the book, The Rabbit Effect? I've not heard of that one. I'll look it up. Though. Okay. So I put a link in the show notes for anybody who's listening. I'll tell you the really short version. Short version is they were trying to see what kinds of diet, what the impact of diet is on a on a body. And so they were using rabbits and a the the person who was administering the food and stuff to the rabbits, she would give healthy food to some rabbits and unhealthy food to other rabbits. And the unhealthy food that she gave to the rabbits, because she was such a kind, personable person and was talking and loving on the rabbits, they had the bad food but had much better health outcomes than those who were administered to by a different uh, person who didn't you know, get involved and love them and talk to them. And just that act of being... Mm -hmm healthy, appropriate, kind, loving, made those animals feel that much better and have much better health outcomes. And we know that from, you know, the ACEs study with Dr. Nadine Burke Harris about how, you know, that the health outcomes lead to very negative things for kids who have experienced trauma. But the true is also yeah. same for those who experience love. And if you have those things in your school and in your classroom, then you're going to have those those situations come up. Now, I did a really bad explain bad job explaining that whole thing, but the rabbit effect, go read the summary of it. You'll get a much better version of it than I gave. So the last question I'd like to ask you, James, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Okay, I'm going to give you two, two responses to that. Okay. The first one is I'm on spring break so they can rest <laughs> and they can recover and they can reset and just enjoy their week and try to unplug from school. Because I think as leaders, we need to do that as well. Yeah. And that's for me, that's been a transformation for myself because I remember going from working easily 100 hours a week when you first get your first principal job and you're trying to do all these things and you're trying to get these systems and all these things in place to now where I try to be 40 to 50 hours a week. So that's the first thing for the people who are on spring break, enjoy it. Yeah. I think the second thing is just put more focus and even greater hyper-focus on the relationships you have in your building. And I think as leaders, sometimes we, we are so intentional about the relationships that we want our teachers to have with our kids but I'm asking leaders to be more hypersensitive about the relationships they have with their staff. Mm -hmm. That's so important. So I think a challenge would be this week is to pick, you know, and we all know we, we have, we all have staff members who are more connected with and some that we're less connected with. That's just life, you know? So I, I would challenge people to pick those 
maybe two or three that you don't have the connection that you would hope for and be intentional with them this coming week and learn one thing new about each of those people on your staff that you can hopefully use to blossom that relationship and grow that relationship so it gets to be more of what you're hoping for. Yeah, I think those are great. And so people, if they want to follow you on Twitter, it's at James Moffat Jr. Uh, definitely That's check cool. him out. He's got great stuff. And James, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks so much for being part of Transformative Principle. I appreciate the invite, man. Thank you so much.